Hello everyone, I'm Nate Truex and you're listening to the Crockcast Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to the Crockcast Podcast. I'm your host Nate and today I'm joined by Brandon Sid- Sidlow. Uh, Brandon, welcome to the show. No, thank you. Uh, nice to be here. Nice to talk to you. So, uh, Brandon, you want to talk to us a little bit about uh, what you do and your uh, career path up to this point? Yeah, sure. So I um, I first became interested in uh, crocodilians, well, as a child, really. Um, but I, I didn't start working with them in any um real capacity until about 2010 when I was in my late twenties, actually. Um, up until that point, I was working as a, a wildlife photographer and, um, and, uh, various other jobs. Um, just, uh, I, I always had an interest in, in biology and crocodilians, but, um, my math skills weren't the best at the time, at least. So I was always uncertain that I would be able to complete the degree. Um, turns out I was underestimating myself, which is, I guess, often the case for a lot of people. And, um, so I, uh, in about 2010, I went back to school, got my degree. Um, but around the same time that I started doing this, um, um, I started compiling crocodile attacks or crocodilian attacks, um, worldwide. And, um, I was touching base with a lot of, uh, crocodile specialists, a lot of local, um, wildlife, uh, authorities, forestry officers, stuff like that, trying to get as much data as possible. And, and over time, um, the data increased significantly, um, and I started finding things that um, that were different than what people had thought, um, particularly with the saltwater crocodile and the mugger crocodile. Uh, for a long time, people thought that um, attacks by the saltwater crocodile were fairly, relatively rare nowadays, despite um, the size of the animal, which turned out, not, unfortunately, not to be the case. Um, and the mugger crocodile was long believed to be harmless, which is also not the case. Um, and then, you know, as things evolved, um, we started finding more and more interesting stuff. Um, the project at the time was called Croc Bite. Um, that no longer exists in, in that, in that um, format. Now it's called Croc Attack. And the old website is gone. The new website will start, will be launched pretty soon. Um, it's, it's already been, been made. It's just a matter of ironing out all the little details and everything because it's a really um, you know, a complex database. And um, right now I'm actually living in Darwin, Australia. I'm from California originally, but I'm living in Darwin and doing my PhD here, um, studying human crocodile conflict. Um, it's kind of a culmination of all this because I'm going to be looking at the whole range of um, the saltwater crocodile, the entire range, and uh, looking at uh, the true extent of, of human saltwater con- crocodile conflict and also uh, potential causes and potential solutions, which are going to be different by region, of course. And my field work will primarily be in Papua New Guinea. Gotcha. So, uh, where are some other places you've worked at besides uh, in Darwin and Papua New Guinea? Um, well, I did a lot of work in Indonesia, actually, in uh, the province of East Nusa Tenggara. Um, in 2015 and 2017, I, I spent several weeks there uh, going to different islands, collecting data, interviewing uh, residents of villages, um, mostly on the islands of uh, well, West Timor. Uh, Sumba, Lambada, and Flores, and found a lot of really interesting data, uh, a lot of interesting opinions um, in, in that entire province, except for Flores. In that entire province, we found that most of the people had similar um, crocodile totem beliefs to what you might find in uh, Timor-Leste, which is also known as East Timor, um, as well as a few other areas. And I guess Historically, those beliefs were much more widespread throughout Indonesia and Malaysia and the Philippines, but they kind of have been um, pushed back into these these more remote areas. But uh, yeah, it was very interesting. So that was where I did the bulk of my work, but I've also worked um, with friends and colleagues in Belize um, and then in an unofficial capacity in Mexico. Um, I've done some, there was a project I was doing in Mexico looking at um, American crocodile uh head length to body length ratios, but um, it kind of got stalled for political reasons. Um, people not wanting to let us into certain areas to do measurements and stuff like that. So that's kind of stalled, but it would have been, we got some interesting data because there are some very large um, American crocodiles, crocodilus acutus in um, some parts of uh, Jalisco state uh, that are abnormally large, really larger than anything I've seen anywhere else. So except maybe the Tarcales River in uh, Costa Rica. Yeah. 
So. Okay. So about those uh, totem beliefs in Indonesia, uh, can you talk about those a little bit? Um, yeah. So it's uh, it's very similar to Timor Leste. They they believe that um, the uh, the crocodiles are their ancestors. So basically, uh, when a um, when you know grandparents or you know a um, you know anybody really dies, they believe that their soul will um, inhabit the crocodile. And now I don't know the exact details of it. Um, I haven't studied that much of the cultural anthropological side of it, which I plan to do that in more greater detail on my PhD because of, I'm going to look at the similarities between the um, Belize and Papua New Guinea, which are, I believe they're quite different, but I'm interested to see if there are any commonalities. Um, but uh, yeah, so basically killing a crocodile is very much a taboo thing in Timor-Leste and East News of Pengara. It does happen, but it's it's rare, and it's usually only if there's a, a man-eater involved. And and even then, it's not always going to be killed. Um, and also you have, I mean, you have, not everyone believes, you know, the, the, you know, the same thing. So you do have other belief systems. And then you have, I know in some areas, you have people who used to live in the highlands coming down to the coastal areas, and they don't harbor the same feelings towards crocodiles, so they will kill crocodiles as well. But in general... It is still much more of a taboo subject there for a crocodile to be killed, um, even sometimes when it's attacked a person. And they also believe that, you know, some crocodiles are their ancestors and some are not. So it, it, it varies um, very much. Um, but, but there's a lot there's a lot more specifics to it that I, I'm, I'm not fully um, aware of. But I, am de I definitely plan on going on to, into that in more detail. I know these beliefs were also once commonplace in Sulawesi. Um, uh, up until fairly recent. I, th I think they still are in some parts of Sulawesi. And then, of course, 200 years ago, it was present throughout the entire archipelago, including all the way up into the Philippines. Um, but those have largely been eroded. Yeah. Yeah, that whole uh, connection with, like, the ancestors, the spirits, and the underworld, this reminds you of, let's talk with uh, Marissa Telez about uh, Mayan beliefs about crocodiles, being like, I'm probably butchering this. I think it was some along the lines of being a like fairies, uh, farriers of the souls to the underworld or something like that. I could be portraying it though. Right, which is really interesting because that's that's that's. I mean, there are again commonalities even that far away. In in um, I know in in northern Sulawesi or I guess central Sulawesi in Lake Poso, they used to believe that um, saltwater crocodiles would ferry them from one side of the river to the other. So obviously, it's not the underworld, but it's still that you know that that kind of a um, protector guardian type of mentality. And they believed that, that some crocodiles would be protectors they could call upon that they were their ancestors and they would ferry them across the river. They would help them and that they would protect them from other crocodiles that weren't ancestors that would prey upon them. And I think that's how they, um, I guess, um, managed to deal with the fact that occasionally people would be eaten by crocodiles in some areas quite frequently. And they would, that was, that's what they would use to explain that pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so do you want to talk about uh, the findings of your database so far? If you're free to talk about that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been, um, we found a lot of stuff that the one species that we're still kind of very data deficient on is the Nile crocodile because so much of sub-Saharan Africa, uh, th you know, things go unreported in a lot of areas. Well, in most areas, to be honest. Um, and then of course, um, some of the countries are in, um, states of, you know, civil strife, um, on, in, lots of instability. And so crocodile attacks are kind of the, the least of their worry in many of these areas. So they don't really get reported. And many people probably don't even think that it's of interest to um, people in, in other countries. Um, but I am slowly getting more data from Africa, uh, especially from Zambia, Zimbabwe, and some of some of these areas in um, kind of the further south. I'm still having a really hard time in Ethiopia and Somalia, of, of course, because Somalia is in, you know, it's in a state of conflict, has been for a very long time. Um, and some of the other areas like Sudan, obviously, very hard to get data. Um, but... Yeah, so the findings were basically, you know, un unfortunately with saltwater crocodile, we found that, you know, upwards of 150 or even more people were being killed a year by saltwater crocodiles. And that was, even if you look at the IUCN's website, <clears throat> they stated that it was only about 20 or 30 attacked per year. Um, and that was what was believed up until about 2010. So unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, there's a lot of reasons, likely to be a lot of reasons for it. Um, most of the attacks take place in Indonesia. Um, that's what we know. I suspect in Papua New Guinea as well, but um, that's kind of what my 
PhD is going to find out and it's going to Papua New Guinea. Because I, I do have one contact in the Gulf province of Papua New Guinea, and there are a lot of attacks. And I suspect it's the same in many of the other provinces. So, okay. Is there uh, any specific region in uh, Indonesia that's like a heightened number of croc attacks compared to others? Well, in, um, in the last, the previous decade, um, East Nusa Tenggara was was kind of the major hotspot, which is why I, I visited it. And um, but there's a lot of hot spots. You have uh, North Maluku, Sulawesi, Southeast Sulawesi, especially is having a lot of um, attacks lately. And North Maluku, North Maluku is kind of the hot spot now. Um, Riau Province in Sumatra last year had a, a very very high number of attacks. Um, and then Borneo is always kind of been you know it's always had a lot of attacks but it's remained relatively stable i haven't seen any massive spikes but it, it's always very high um and then um and then there's the odd areas that don't really have attacks and i don't really know why which is another reason i'd like to get into some of these areas like peninsular malaysia um people often don't hear about crocodiles from there but they are there saltwater crocodiles are there and the surveys that have been conducted which there aren't many in either indonesia or malaysia they're very few but the ones that have been done have shown low densities in both places so i don't think crocodile density is the reason for it something else going on um and i i'd like to figure out exactly what it is i mean i i mean crocodile density does have something to do with it but not with in these particular cases i don't think it has as much to do with it as some some other factor probably human factor are there any particular factors that uh, you suspect more than others? For sure. Um, like, uh, obviously, um, environmental destruction has had a, a it, even the local people will say that that's the reason in a lot of these areas. Um, habitat destruction, they'll say that crocodile attacks were rare before. Um, oil palm is a big one. Um, and uh, tin mining on Banka and Belitung Islands. They have these um, tin mining pools and they pretty much build them in crocodile habitat and they destroy all the habitat, remove the mangroves and a lot of the natural prey dies and the crocodiles remain. So the tin mine workers are often attacked by crocodiles in Banka and Belitung, which is adding to one of the many dangers they face in the job, um, the multitude of dangers. Um, in the case of Peninsular Malaysia, the reason there's few attacks, I suspect it may have to do with um, Peninsular Malaysia possibly, I don't know all the details, but possibly being more developed from a um, infrastructure standpoint, fewer people requiring the river, um, you know, for daily needs, just, just not as um, not as impoverished, I think, as some other areas. And, and um, But I mean, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of impoverished, impoverished areas in Peninsular Malaysia, but less so than perhaps in some of these other areas. That's that's just a theory that I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting at. But um, it requires more investigation. But like in Singapore, Singapore crocodiles have come back. Saltwater crocodiles are now in Singapore again. They were, I don't, I suspect they never really left, but they were probably so low in density before that you wouldn't see them. But now there's a breeding population and conflict is nil because nobody, you know, it's Singapore is a very wealthy country. Nobody's in the water. Nobody's going around the mangroves doing anything. It's a tourist attraction, but nobody's in there fishing. Nobody's bathing or, you know, so that kind of stuff is going to be, it's going to result in less conflict. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of them, Salties possibly being having been extirpated from Singapore, uh, in terms of saltwater crocodiles' range, uh, what do you say their range is at their maximum extent historically, or is they having pushed out of areas? Oh, they're extinct in a lot of their historical range. They're they're extinct in Vietnam. They're extinct in Cambodia. They're extinct in Thailand for the most part. There might be very small numbers near the border with Peninsular Malaysia um, and maybe very small numbers near the border with Burma or Myanmar. Um, I, but I don't, I doubt there's anything breeding. I just, yeah, I don't hear enough um, that would suggest that. And, and, and unfortunately, typically where there are, with the exception of Peninsular Malaysia and Palau, typically where there are saltwater crocodiles, you're going to have some conflict, especially if there's, if it's a, an area with, with, you know, humans using the waterways frequently. Um, in, in Myanmar, they are only found in two areas. Um, they're extinct everywhere else, including um, the infamous uh, Ramri Island location. They've been extinct there for, for quite a while. Um, I know Stephen Platt did research there in uh, maybe almost two decades ago, a little less than two decades ago, and they found like they found one nest that was non-viable and they didn't find any signs of crocodiles. So there was maybe one still around that wasn't breeding, but, um, but yeah, they're largely extirpated. 
Um, and then in India, they're only in, you know, two areas, two areas in the mainland, the Sundarbans and, uh, and um, Bitarkanika National Park. But, um, but yeah, so they're really not doing well in the northern part of the range. I mean, they're virtually eradicated from most areas. It's, it's this kind of central and southern part where there's still plenty around. Well, not plenty, but they're around. And then, of course, here in Australia, they're, the reason they're considered yeah. least concerned is entirely due to Australia because we've got a lot. And, and it's great. It's awesome. And, it, and attacks are very rare here. Conflict is very rare. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's, really, it's really great. Yeah. Uh, I keep on, you know, hearing and reading articles about how, uh, particularly from, uh, I think it's the Kimberley region or wherever, uh, salties migrate to like Timor and other places like that. Uh, so is uh, Northern Australia kind of acting as like a replenishing point for populations in other locations, perhaps? Um, I don't, I don't put a lot of weight in that theory only because, um, I, I mean, I, I imagine there are, the odd one does likely make it to Timor and other areas, of course, um, especially I, I think the most movement occurs between Queensland and Papua New Guinea because there's only a very, very small area of, um, you know, it's basically they're almost connected, um, you know, the, the, the Torres Strait. And there's definitely movement. The genetics show that there is movement between Queensland and Papua New Guinea. Um, thus far, genetics, from what I understand from Timor-Leste, have shown that they're all of Timorese origin. They're not um they're not there's none that they've found that were from australian origin um and and then i mean i but i would i would suspect the odd one does make it uh i don't think it has any impact on attack frequency which is something that has been suggested i i don't think so because a lot of attacks are, are increasing in timor inland in landlocked habitat there is a um the largest crocodile population in Timor and likely throughout the entire lesser sunda islands region is in a place called lake Irlalaro which is a landlocked lake um, at a, not a high elevation, but higher than you expect to find salties. And the crocodiles there, they have no connection to the ocean. They are genetically distinct from the coastal population, not enough to be um, a new species or even a new subspecies, but they are genetically distinct. And um, attacks there have also increased very significantly. So I just don't see any evidence that Australian crocodiles are the reason for an increase in the numbers of attacks, but um, but they do move around a lot, and we're seeing a lot of movement. Like they're moving into areas they haven't been seeing in seen in um, over half a century, well over half a century. Like Bali is now occasionally seeing crocodiles. Uh, there was one very widely publicized case of a, a, a about a ten foot saltwater crocodile showing up on a pop, on a big beach where there were just thousands of people out there and scared the hell out of everybody, and. Um, you know, the, these are likely animals coming from East Nusa Tenggara, I would say, is the most likely source. But um, they're also showing up in Jakarta from time to time, which is really odd because Jakarta is pretty much, there's no habitat at all, but they'll show up occasionally. And these are large animals coming in from the ocean, so it's very unlikely to be um, escapees from captivity. And um, so, yeah, it's a lot, a lot of interesting stuff going on. I'm really curious to see how things are going to pan out in the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Uh so the other species you also keep track of, uh, muggers, what were you trying to get right. those guys? What's that? Sorry, I had a little bit uh, What was your findings? Yeah. yeah. What was your oh. finding with uh, muggers? Well, with the muggers, um, so I, I, I worked with a lot of the Indian um, crocodile experts on this because they had been collecting data as well. And um, it, it, we were finding that mugger attacks were actually quite frequent. Um, the fatality rate's lower than saltwater and, and Nile, but it's still pretty high. And it, it, with the muggers, it's weird. In some areas, they are killing, attacking and killing people at a rate similar to saltwater and Nile crocodiles. And then in other areas, they seem to be virtually harmless, where there's no, not, not harmless, but I mean, you're not seeing attacks at all. People are in the water, nothing's happening. And it's, so it's a very interesting situation. And again, I suspect some sort of, human factor is involved with that um and some of these areas are quite close i visited gusharat india um last or the year before last in 2021 and in vadodara city which is also known as baroda um attacks are very frequent um there's a river that runs through the city called the vishwamitri river and uh, back in 2014 i think they killed something like i don't know several people just within two weeks and um, it continues to it continues to occur. There, conflict has dropped considerably, I think, but it's still it's still attacks are quite frequent, and um, 
only not that far away within a few hours draw a couple hours driving distance a place called anand there's um an area where they do a croc count every year i'm sure you've heard of and um it, there's no conflict attacks are virtually non-existent and people use the waterways with the crocodiles so you know i don't i don't really know what what the difference is uh, perhaps natural prey abundance could be could be something because i know you know in these rivers that run through major urban areas there's going to be less natural prey um possibly human population densities um pollution i mean it could be any number of things um definitely more studies need to be done on it because it could lead to better understanding of why muggers are attacking people so frequently places like the chombo river attacks are are very frequent but they're very with muggers it's very seasonal though um from the months of basically december until march i don't record i record very few mugger attacks maybe just a handful and then once we hit march things increase and they gradually increase and then over the the uh, summer months into fall it's just constant so um definitely there's a it's like the american alligator where there's a strong seasonal component to attacks whereas with saltwater crocodile even if there there is like you know but but even even the attacks occur in, in the dry season as well here in australia and then of course they they trans you know they go across both hemispheres so you can have attacks year-round and uh, same same in africa so yeah so uh the location of that uh crocodile survey uh does that have like a high human density around there or is it a relatively low density area i don't know in that specific area i mean it's india there are going i mean i think it's in general it's higher density but i think it's i think it's it's definitely less than baroda for sure um how much less would be the question and of course lifestyles um they they say that they respect the crocodiles and that's why nothing nothing happens that they you know they they don't bug them and then they don't get bugged by them and uh so there's a, there's a lot of interesting beliefs there and they, they they don't tend to have any problems with the crocodiles they like them um in the, in those villages so it's 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 there's you know cultural differences it, it's it's very interesting i know they're doing a lot of studies on it right now so um should be interesting to see what they find it reminds me a little bit of those uh, West African uh, communities with uh, the Sukas, the West African Crocs, how they're kind of famous for their relationship with those. Right. Like in, I think, Gambia, Burkina Faso, they have some, those ponds that they, um, that they live with them when there's no, there's no conflict. Um, like, I mean, Sukas, Sukas is still kind of strange because there's areas where um, there are frequent attacks, but I don't know if it's Sukas involved or if it's Nilotikus because there, there's, there's, there are these um, kind of transitionary zones or, or I guess areas where they don't really know which species is there. We, specifically, Central African Republic, there's, there's a lot of attacks there in, in a couple of the lakes there, and I don't really know. I, I've, talked to, I've talked to Matt Shirley about this because he's the one, he, he's, he's the you know, West African croc guy. And um, yeah, he, uh, they're not really sure which species is there as far as I know, possibly both in different areas. So, um, but yeah, Sukas is, is very interesting. I'd, I'd like to like to get into West Africa to see some of those, but yeah, at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's really interesting that even the ancient Egyptians were somehow able to tell Sukas and Nilotikus apart because, you know, all the mummies are of Sukas, even though Nilotikus is natural ranges around there. Right, right, yeah. Um, which yeah, which makes me wonder if if Sukis got up into that area as well, or if it's um, yeah, I don't I don't know. It's it's odd because Nilotikus I guess got all the way up into Israel at some point into the Kibara swamps, and uh, they were apparently eradicated from that area and from around Cairo sometime in the 19th century, from what I understand. But um, of course, today Nilotikus go only goes as far north as Na Lake Nasser in in Egypt, and then nothing nothing um north of that is from what i understand um but uh yeah yeah it's interesting and, and there are really weird ones like a Sukis's range kind of goes to the um the east really far east like just kind of juts over into ethiopia in um there's a there's a river in ethiopia that is nothing but Sukis, but the rest of ethiopia from my best of my knowledge is all Nilotikus. so it's just really really bizarre um distribution so it, it's probably fragmented a lot from historic times and of course they used to be present throughout the saharan desert and then as you know aridification occurred they became fragmented and then you know 
slowly went extinct in areas, probably also due to human activities, humans killing them in some of these areas, because very small populations. And um, it looks like that's probably going to continue to occur with the Saharan populations, I think. Um, Matt was saying recently that the population in Chad, in one of the, uh, I think they're called Gueltas. I, my pronunciation may be way off on that, but it's kind of a, um, almost like a, um, an oasis in the desert and, you know, a little area with water and, um, they had sucus there. And I know that people for a long time have been photographing them stuff, but from what I understand there's very few left there. So, um, yeah, it just seems like they're kind of slowly disappearing from these areas, but maybe what we're seeing in Ethiopia with that little, um, Eastern, uh, that river going through there, maybe they, um, it's part of something historical. So, uh, yeah. But uh, circling back to the muggers, uh, that one uh, research, that survey site, is that in this like, same drainage basin as uh, the river that goes to that city? I'm sorry. I'm not good with those names. Oh, no, it's fine. Um, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I mean, it's uh, th that in the survey site, it's it's lakes. It's a lot of the lakes and villages and ponds and stuff like that. I don't think they have any connection to the river at any time. Um, but muggers, being muggers, they're very mobile on land, so they can often they often walk long distances. I mean, even salties will do that, but not to the degree that muggers will. Muggers are very very terrestrial animals, and so um, I, th I suspect that's part of the reason they they get around so much and then of course i think historically people may have put them in, in certain areas as well um but um yeah so there's there's a few main rivers there um that are kind of like you have the narmada river you have the mahi river uh, the narmada river still has a lot of crocodiles the mahi not not very many i don't think if, if some very few at all i think um but then you have um the Vishwamitri, which i believe is connected to i i don't remember which river it's connected to but yeah the um the the ponds in in the, where they do the surveys those aren't I don't think they're connected to any river at, at any time really. Okay, well you did right so that muggers are very terrestrial and mobile. But I was going to suggest how some crocodilians have really strong uh, river basin genetics. Uh, if that might have a play a role in that or not. But... Yeah, I mean it'd be I mean they I don't think they've done any genetic studies. It would be interesting to see what. Um, what genetics they can find in the uh, the Vishwamitri crocs versus the um, versus the the ones up in Anand, um, and uh, you know, and then possibly um, I don't know if size would have anything to do with it because obviously with saltwater crocodiles we see the the most dangerous animals tend to be in the um, four meter range, um, whereas you get larger than that, you, you know, it's, those aren't you don't you don't see as much conflict from larger animals mostly because they're just, I mean they're not as common. But um, but also those 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 four meter animals are the ones that are typically coming into areas after being forced out of other areas by larger crocodiles. Um, with muggers, I don't know. They're less. You don't have the territoriality that you see with saltwater crocodiles. So I don't know how much that would play a role. But it'd be interesting to see the the different dynamics between species. Lately, I've been looking at the saltwater crocodile, so I'm going to have a lot more a lot more insight on their. Um, you know, on how they behave um, for that reason specifically. And the behavior is so much different between them and, and a lot of the other species, mainly due to their, how territorial they are. Uh, you wanna talk about some of the differences uh, per, in their behavior compared to other crocodilians? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I was actually, I was um, asked by um, some, some, some people that are replanting mangroves, they're kind of doing reforestation in Indonesia. <clears throat> And they they sent me an email asking about you know how they could um, prevent their people working on it from being attacked by crocodiles while replanting the mangroves, and so uh, the woman I was talking to had worked in in Africa and she you know with Nile crocodiles and they had you know they had their own protocol for that and I said you know there are important differences you have to take into account, and with, with saltwater crocodiles being so territorial, some in and, and given their habitat the mangrove habitat sometimes it can be very very difficult to know if crocodiles are even in the area, especially if you have just one large male hanging around, you, you're not going to see them unless, you know, unless you get lucky. And so I, I, I told her, you know, do, do not rely on surveys of the area alone to, to know if there are crocodiles present in the area. Because if you have one large animal, well, some of these areas, I suspect, where they're finding really low densities, it's just one big male around that, is, that has been attacking people and not, you know, a lot of crocodiles. And, you know, you have the mangrove habitat can also be very difficult to, to see crocodiles in, they can hide, um, you have these big muddy rivers and then, yeah, you have low densities, their behavior, they're very territorial. So you're not going to see a lot of other male crocodiles around. 
And um, that would be, I mean, the main behavioral difference is, is territoriality, I would say, when it comes to difference between, you know, some of these larger species. Um, the saltwater crocodile also not quite as terrestrial as, as say, the, the mugger crocodile. And, um, yeah, when it, when it comes to, like, the attack, like, I, I've talked to a lot of people about attacks between Nile crocodiles and saltwater crocodiles, and a lot of it comes down to, again, densities like uh, the saltwater crocodile is naturally going to be a much lower density species than the nile crocodile because of that territorial um behavior so you know like you'll see you'll see Af videos in africa of this just wall-to-wall -wall nile crocodiles basking along the banks and you would yeah. never you you would only see that here in, in australia in one area that i can think of called shady camp um, which is about an hour and a half from where i'm sitting right now and um, there they have an abnormally high density of saltwater crocodiles, and it all has to do with um, abnormally high prey densities. So there's not as much conflict, not as much territoriality. But in general, you would never see that with saltwater crocodiles. You'll see, you know, you won't, yeah, you'll just see like one, and then, you know, you go a distance and see another. You're not going to see a whole bunch basking next to each other. Yeah. Uh, any suspected reason why they're so much more territorial than other species? Oh, I don't, I'm sure that has something to do with genetics and, um, <clears throat> and just law, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure on that. I, I would say likely genetics of some kind, um, you know, long-term evolution, um, just different, um, speciation, different reasons for it. So, yeah. Um, so is there any like overarching patterns you've noticed, uh, in attacks with salties versus like other species? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, there are, and again, it's hard to draw conclusions because the Nile data is so sparse, but I've noticed that, um, saltwater crocodile victims tend to be adult male fishermen. Um, I mean, there are, you do get women, you do get children, but the, the vast majority are adult male fishermen. And with Nile crocodiles, I see a much higher percentage of women and children um bathing washing clothes and i think that mostly has to do with the habitat um you know you're getting a lot of saltwater crocodiles in estuarine areas they do you know they they can be found up to a, over a thousand kilometers inland in freshwater habitat but a lot of the attacks are occurring in areas where you know along the coastline you've got mostly fishermen who are in the water and then of course the the fish are attracting the crocodiles they're struggling the nets stuff like that whereas in africa the nile crocodiles you know not as you're not going to see them as um in high densities along the coastline and in these areas they're in inland in freshwater rivers and in dams and lakes and in these areas these are areas people are using for bathing um and also for fishing but for bathing washing clothes so i see a much higher percentage of of, of women being killed while washing clothes and uh and you know cleaning utensils and stuff like that and that does happen in the saltwater crocodile range just not as not as frequently um you probably see it more in uh in new guinea i would think because the, the rivers are so large and you're getting crocodiles further inland um and then in um some parts of sumatra but um but yeah by and far it's going to be male fishermen that's kind of our our um our main um demographic that is being attacked by saltwater crocodiles which makes things very difficult because um crocodile exclusion enclosures um which i'm sure you've heard of are quite effective um, at preventing, or at least not preventing, but mitigating crocodile attacks in area in freshwater areas where the victims are mainly washing clothes or bathing. But with fishermen, it doesn't help at all. So um, it's a very yeah. unique conflict situation. Yeah. Uh, and I'm guessing muggers are more similar to uh, Niles in terms of their attacks than they are to salties. Yeah, yeah. Um, in general, it's yeah, it seems to be the case. Um, there's a lot of uh, people bathing. The one thing I have noticed with muggers, and this may just be because it's not mentioned with with other attacks with other species, but like a very high percentage of the attacks often occur when people are with their livestock. So I suspect livestock being present plays a role the same way that in Florida, there's a lot of attacks and people have their dogs with them and they often become the secondary target after the dog being the initial target. And I suspect in India, you know, I, I mean, this week a man was attacked, his wife saved him. It's been circulating all over the internet. And he, he was, I believe bathing his, was it his goats or his cattle at the time? Um, a lot of the attacks, they're either bathing their cattle or at least they had their cattle near them and they went down to the water to drink or whatever. So I suspect that, you know, the, the livestock are attracting the crocodiles and then this other, you know, this person comes around and they, um, they become the kind of, uh, 
default the victim they go to instead um and uh yeah so yeah 2000 pound cow versus 200 pound hairless monkey which one you're choosing yeah exactly exactly it makes it it's it's a potentially easier prey item even though we do look odd um you know with our with our height you know the um in some of these areas crocodiles probably been preying upon people for quite a long time um, um not all of them you know in, in areas where they haven't of course if they learn that a human's easy prey that can be problematic but in some areas they are, kind of always have so um that's another thing i'd be interested curious to see because in, in papua new guinea um you know i i'd imagine man eaters probably go unchecked for quite a long time um and so there may be crocs that just that's just what they do and they have for a very long time um which which brings me to another interesting thing there's a lot of talks of culling in queensland Australia, um, because they, you know, they believe there's a ton of crocodile attacks, which there aren't, but, um, and, you know, and one potential un unintended consequence of that is if they remove crocodiles from Queensland's, Queensland's waterways, they're just going to move in from Papua New Guinea. And you may be getting crocodiles that are already experienced man-eaters moving in. So, um, so yeah, there's a lot of things they're not taking into account, but, um, but yeah, that's a whole other can of worms, but yeah. <laughs> uh, victim the squatter and then selling the house to a psychopath. So right exactly yeah <laughs> so uh talk about your research with uh american crocs the acutest i talk about like the head length body length ratios uh want to talk about that a little bit yeah so um yeah now that we're i, I don't i don't know if it's ever going to go through i can talk freely about it um we um I, I for many years ever since 2011 i've been going to a place called la manzanilla in jalisco which is a, just a, an amazing amazing little coastal um village uh wonderful people became great friends with many of the residents and they have an estuary there that is full of american crocodiles um probably very unnatural unnaturally high densities because i think they've moved some problem crocodiles there and people feed them there so they kind of they almost behave like captive animals, even though they're they're not. They are wild. They can go. They can move around wherever they want. But um, but they often hang out in one area. And so, and many of these animals are abnormally large. There, there are does at least a dozen over four meters, um, and a couple over four and a half meters, possibly up to five in excess of five, possibly even, which would be um obviously records for acutis confirmed records at least. You know, there's there's not really I don't think anybody's been keeping track of record links in, in Akutis. So when you look at, you can't really find a, like when you look for saltwater, you find low long and the fly river salty. Um, you can't really find like the actual measurements for Akutis. You just have a lot of anecdotal stuff, but, um, but yeah, I suspect if there's going to be a record Akutis, it's going to be either there or at the Tarkalis river in, in Costa Rica, which also has very large animals. But at this estuary in La Manzanilla, they're, they're, they're easy to access. They're easy to catch. Um, they're all very large. Um, we did find one that was even larger than the ones that were hanging out at the front. Um, we found it kind of hiding in the back and it seemed to not be as interested in human contact. And that's the one we really wanted to catch, but he's, he was very, very shy. We did see him at night once, got close to him, but then he, he darted into the water. He was massive though. And unlike the other ones, the other ones are fed by people. So they're really, really, um, robust. He was thin and long, which I, I suspect he was longer than the other ones, but just not as um, not as overfed as they are, which is something we see here in Australia as well. A lot of the crocs in the Adelaide River are, they, it's hard to tell how big they are because they, the, the bulk can be um, misleading, um, which is also true of the Nile crocodile. Many people will see Nile crocodiles and think they're larger than salties. It's not the case. They're, well, they're, they're, they're heavier, but they're not as long. So, um, and, and again, that bulk can really be misleading, but, but yeah, La Manzanilla, we were doing this. We wanted to look, basically my goal was to try to get enough, um, head length to body length ratios to be able to kind of build a, um, a good kind of, um, base ratio for large American crocodiles over four meters, and then use that to estimate the length of the skull, the record American crocodile skull that is in the um, New York, um, I believe it's in the Smithsonian, is it in Sm it's Smithsonian or Natural History? One of the, one of the two in the, I think, I think it's, it's Natural History, I think, yeah. Smithsonian, Smithsonian I think it's in DC. Right, yeah, because I've been to Smithsonian, Smithsonian, yeah, because I've spent a long time in DC, never spent any time in New York, so, um, yeah, so the, the Natural History Museum there, they have, I believe it's a 70, 70 centimeter Akuta skull, I believe, and, um, it would be interesting to see the um, ratios because with saltwater crocodiles, once they get to a certain size, um, 
the head to body length ratio, you know, you can have you can have eight eight point eight to one, I think is what um low long was, which is just, you know, the, that's that's the the ratio is drastically different than the, the usual uh, seven to one ratio. Now, what I was seeing with the American crocodile um, was that the heads were much, much larger in proportion to the body than saltwater crocodiles. So I suspect that 70 centimeter skull is not from a, you know, a, a six, a 20 foot crocodile. I suspect it's not just given that, but, but I don't know. Again, we couldn't measure anything. The mid largest we measured was 4.4 meters. So we couldn't measure anything, you know, in the 4.7, 4.8, because we, one of the bigger ones we wanted to catch the minute he saw the rope, he, he darted. He knew. Um, so I suspect they've they've tried to catch him before, or maybe they have caught him. Um, but yeah, so really big animals. But um, but I try to keep things. I try to not to buy into the the myth and try to try to really get the actual. You know, I I would love nothing more than to find a six meter American crocodile, but I but I got to find it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so speaking of acutus. Uh, I don't know if you keep any track records of their uh, attacks or anything like that, but I keep hearing like varying things like, oh, it kind of depends like lo locale or what the the pop local population or whatever in terms of their uh, attack rates. Is there any truth to that? Um, so, yeah, I keep track of every species. So every crocodilian species okay. there is, I, I keep track it on. And uh, yeah, I've got a lot of Akuta's attack data. And um, for a few years in the last decade, things were getting pretty pretty intense i mean not not by old world standards we're talking you know maximum six people killed per year compared to you know even the mugger kills around 40 or 50 people a year so it's not not anywhere close but the american crocodile was fourth um it's just a, a very distant fourth um out of the um most dangerous most most attacking crocodile species and um more so than the american alligator at least the last decade and it is it does appear to be location specific um i suspect lifestyle factors have have a, a major role as, as well as um a big one with akutas i think is feeding by by humans uh, i'm sure marissa told you all about the issues with that in belize um I, I i spent a lot of time with her in belize and uh and feeding illegal feeding is a major issue there it makes them much more aggressive i remember there was a crocodile they were talking about on um ambergris key that um would sometimes they had fed it so much it would charge out of the water and you know as as golf carts were passing so you know they're that that's a major issue um obviously in florida you know you've only had one attack with two victims and both non-fatal um and then there's no reliable records of people being killed in florida ever there's a very very suspicious record from 1925 i think but yeah i don't put much credence in it because it just seems the guy claims he shot it and then it was killed by it after he shot it on land i, I just i don't know it's a little too suspicious to include but um but in mexico in costa rica people are killed uh this year no one's been killed yet at least in terms of what's been reported but um some years have been pretty bad 2015 i believe was 2015 2016 were the worst years in mexico but things have quieted down a lot with american crocodiles i'm not sure why but they have quieted down a fair bit uh so uh what about the american alligator where's that ranking gets danger level um well american alligator is really tough because it's things vary so much um for seven years there was not a single fatal attack from 2007 to 2015 there was nothing and then now lately it's just been like last year was horrible four people were killed last year which is unprecedented that's never happened before and um i think it has to do with um a lot of human behavior stuff especially the dog situation and also um last year in the fatal attack i believe three of the four victims were over the age of 75 and two of them were over the age of I think 85. So we're talking about very elderly individuals being attacked by alligators in Florida, which is, you know, the whole other ball game trying to figure out what, you know, what, how to mitigate that. Because uh, I suspect in many of those cases, a younger person would have lived, um, especially I'm sure you've seen the video of the woman who had her dog and the, the alligator charged out of the water and dragged her into the water and killed her. And that was only, I mean, it looks like about a three meter American alligator. I don't think, you know, even for saltwater crocodiles, a three meter animal, uh, most people are going to survive the attack. Um, so, you know, her age likely was a factor. So, uh, I don't know, maybe in the elderly community in places like Florida, maybe ed educating people more, maybe something, you know, trying to get them to understand the danger that may be posed by this, especially when dogs. I mean, I don't think that alligator would have 
had any interest in her had she not been walking her dog near the lagoon. Um, and I think that's the case in a lot of a lot of attacks in Florida and in South Carolina. South Carolina's had a had some pretty significant increase in attacks as well, especially around Hilton Head Island, which is a really expensive area. And but there's a lot of alligators there. So um, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, for a while they were pretty far down on the numbers of attacks. The Black Cayman was higher. They were below the Black Cayman and the American crocodile, and even the more less crocodile for a few years. Uh, the more less crocodile were attacking and killing quite a few people, especially in um, there's a part of, of uh, Mexico where they they had killed people pretty frequently. But um, but yeah, lately the last year things have gotten really bad, but we'll see if that lasts. I suspect that has something also to do with weather. Um, I remember the last time there was a really bad spate of American alligator attacks was 2006, where three people were killed. And there was also, I don't know if it was another La Nina or if it was something else going on or it was a drought, but they seem to have these, they seem to coincide with with these bizarre weather events. So um, I think that has something to do with, with American alligator aggression. Yeah. Uh, might also be the fact that Florida's population has also spiked with a bunch of not uh, non-alligator familiar people just moving in, not knowing how to behave around them. Right, I'm sure you're getting a lot of yeah, a lot of um, especially older people moving to Florida after retirement, aren't aware of the danger, or maybe think the danger is minimal, which it really is minimal. But dogs are—I always tell people—dogs are crocodilian magnets, regardless of the species. They're going to attract crocodilians because they're just—they have no. They're they're very loud. They have no, um, you know, uh, in the water they have no defense at all. So they're just easy targets for crocodilians. And I, I think that they're just gonna if you're gonna have it if you want if you want to bring crocodiles in, bring a dog around and that'll bring crocodiles in. And so it's or and alligators. So I think that's I think that's something that maybe should be targeted more in Florida is telling people look if you want to avoid attacks. You know I don't think alligators are gonna charge out of the water at people unless you have a dog with you. Otherwise, you know, the dangers, if you're swimming, that's a whole other story, but walking along shore, I just don't, you know, yeah, I think it's, I think you curb a lot of this with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So what are like the, say top 10, uh, most dangerous crocodilians? I mean, obviously salties, Niles, and I guess muggers take the top three, but what's after that? Uh, fourth would be the American crocodile, um, it, but it's a distant fourth, very distant fourth. But that would be fourth. Based again, these are based on the raw number of attacks for the last decade. Basically, that's I'm only basing it on the last decade because that's really the only where there's reliable data. So it would be that followed by the black caiman, American alligator, more or less crocodile. Um, the, the more or less crocodile is the city called Tampico in Mexico uh, in Tamaulipas. I visited there in 2021 as well. And um, they they kill people much more frequently than you'd expect for that species. It's specifically in that city, which is really really bizarre. Um, and they're pretty sizable animals. I, I, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, and then you have um, beyond that, not really. There's nothing. Most of the other species aren't really responsible for human deaths with any frequency um, at all. Really, I mean, Sucus maybe, but again, that's kind of a that's questionable, and it's not frequent. It definitely would not be frequent, but you know, maybe one or two per year, maybe. Um, and then, then you're getting into beyond that species that are either too rare or just like the Orinoco crocodile is very large, and there are historical records of large crocodiles presumably orinoco crocodiles but you know i don't know what the distribution would have been along the orinoco river even attacking boats and pulling people out of boats so i don't again these are historical records so you know it's hard to say um cuban crocodile known to be very aggressive but um i only know of one fatal attack that occurred in 1996 um and uh, the, the the late great toby ramos provided me with the data while i was in mexico um there's a spear fisherman um who was spearfishing in the zapata swamp who was killed by by um cuban crocodile and um beyond that i mean you know there's a lot of there's some anecdotal records of siamese crocodiles killing children but but very few for adults there is there were a spate of fatal attacks along the upper well middle mekong river near the border with laos in cambodia in the 1920s and 1910s and would have been big siamenses could have all also been inland seaporosis i'm sorry i'm alternating between between common names and uh, and scientific names, so either Siamese, either large Siamese crocodiles or or saltwater crocodiles. Or I think a lot salties, of people, yeah, yeah. So people often underestimate um, where salties can be found. 
especially historically, you know, they, they could have been all over the place because they're, you know, here in Australia, they, with, with re recovery, they keep moving further up into rivers. And the only reason they're not living permanently in areas like Catherine Gorge and these upstream areas is because they're removed when they're, when they find them there. But if they weren't removed, you know, these big males would likely stay there. There's no breeding habitat, but you'll still have individual animals living there. So, um, yeah, like we, we have records from Burma or from Myanmar, um, from way, way far up the, uh, Irrawaddy river, um, you know, maybe 800 kilometers up river where they believe that it was mugger crocodiles attacking people, but there's no evidence that muggers were actually ever in Myanmar. And I suspect it was inland saltwater crocodiles. And I've talked with, uh, Stephen Platt and he agrees it's probably inland saltwater crocodiles. So, so it, it's hard to say with these older ones, but also then you've got, um, the smaller caiman species will bite people, um, and it happens somewhat frequently because there's a lot of them around and people step on their tails and stuff. But I only have one authenticated fatal attack um, involving a spectacled caiman, and that attack was on an infant. So when it comes to children, the, the rules change entirely because I, American alligators of five feet in length have been responsible for fatal attacks on children. So that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Paleosuka somehow managed to kill someone. I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be mad. That'd be impressive. <laughs> I've I've spent a lot of time with Paleosuka's trigonatus in the Amazon, and they're they're a beautiful species, um, and but they do have attitude. Um, I suspect to make up for their size, um, but they're they're a lot of fun because they're not they're not as aquatic as a lot of the other species. You'll find them walking around the forest floor sometimes. And it's pretty cool to just be wandering around in the Amazon and, and finding a, a Paleosuchus just walking around. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> um, I only know of one bite um, involving them. And it was one that had somehow wandered into a restaurant bathroom from a from a water body and then just swung around and bit the guy in the leg. So not really an attack, but um, <laughs> but yeah, so. <laughs> uh, so for people who are not a not you know croc wise and not don't know how to act safe around crocodilians you want to give some basic guidelines and how to behave safely in uh areas where crocodilians live yeah i mean um of course it's going to vary depending on the species in terms of how cautious you have to be um in you know places like florida louisiana um just you know don't bring dogs around um close to water bodies where alligators are present, which in Florida is going to be probably most water bodies. Um, and, you know, there's, I'm sure there's, there are plenty of places you can walk dogs that aren't going to be along lagoons. I, I mean, I know how nice it is to walk a dog along a river or a lagoon, but it's it's just not worth it. Um, and then uh, small children, you know, always keep a close eye on small children if you're going to be in an area with alligators, like that that unfortunate incident in, in Disney World um, that I feel like, you know, if the parents were, I don't know what proximity the parents were to the child, but um, from what I understand, the alligator is not very large. So if you if you're very close to your child, you have them, you're holding their hand or whatever. Yeah, I think they'll be safe. Um, and uh, and also, you know, probably just don't walk along the lagoon shore if you're with a small child. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't know this. So you know, it's not it's not their fault. They just don't. You know, they're not aware. They come from somewhere else, but they don't. They're not aware of that. Um, and then um, with something like the saltwater crocodile, Nile crocodile, you need to maintain a good distance from waterways at all times, um, especially areas with really high densities. Like here in Australia, we recommend camping, you know, at least a hundred meters from the water's edge. If you're gonna be camping, if you're walking, you know, five to six meters from the water's edge because they can charge out, but they can't, you know, they can't move for long distances on land at a high speed. So it's gonna be a big burst of energy and then nothing. So as long as you're outside of that striking distance, you'll be fine. Um, and, um, you know, with uh, with them, obviously, definitely no sw don't swim in crocodilian habitat, but that goes without saying. Um, with saltwater crocodiles, um, uh, Yusuke Fukuda did a great paper, wrote a great paper with his colleagues on um, the 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 what factors led to the higher fatality rates, and they found that when salt when people were swimming in deep water um, greater than I believe half a meter, um, the fatality rate just skyrockets. Um, when you, especially when you have four meter animals and above and above from four and a half and above, it's virtually, you're, you're not going to live. And, um, that's because there's just nothing you can do in that, in that depth of water when a crocodile attacks. Whereas if you're on shore, the, the chance of death decreases significantly for, for most victims. Of course, that's not taking into account elderly individuals or small children, but, um, but yeah, so don't, don't swim. Um, if you're fishing, never gut fish or, you know, clean them near the water's edge, cause that's going to attract crocodiles. 
Um, if you're in an area with saltwater crocodiles or Nile crocodiles, always use a net to bring your fish into the boat. Don't put your hand in the water to grab the fish because often saltwater crocodiles will, you know, follow the fish in as you're pulling it in. And I've seen it many times here in videos where crocodiles just swim up and steal the fish right off the line. And if the guy's hand was in the water, he would have been taken with it because it's, it's often very large animals. Um, and, um, you know, if you're in an area where there's a lot of big salties, don't go in a boat that's smaller than four meters because um, we've had some incidents here. One incident specifically where a man was pulled out of his boat by a big salty and, and eaten. Um, and that was, um, yeah, I, I don't recall the size of the boat, but in general, they say anything under four meters is, is not safe. I've been in a three and a half meter boat in some of these areas and it's very, it's, it's dicey. Um, it's, it's, I, there's certain areas where I just wouldn't do it period. Um, and if you do do it and don't stop for long periods, keep moving. Cause if you're moving, a croc's not going to do anything, but if you're st sitting in a place for a long time, it gives them time to get curious and, and movement. So yeah, there's a lot of different things you could do. Don't feed crocodiles. That's a big thing. Any crocodilian, do not feed them because that's going to make them associate people with food, seek people out, follow people around, and hang around in human habitat. So great. Uh, so other than the croc attack database, are there any other things to do? I know you mentioned uh, you did wildlife photography at the very beginning. Right. Um, I still do that. Um, uh, you know, I, I've been. I plan on writing a book on human crocodile conflict, um, given all the, the information I have. Um, so I plan on using a lot of my photos for that. And I kind of have my own personal goal, um, kind of a bucket list item is to photograph every crocodilian species in the wild. Um, and get good photos, not just, you know, not just a throwaway photo of every crocodile species in the wild. It's going to be very difficult to accomplish, especially now that they, they split all these West African species up. Um, but, um, I was halfway just keep there. Make up <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. just keep up making up new ones out of the blue. Yeah, they, they're getting they're getting more. Um, I um, I uh, Matt Shirley was up here uh, a couple weeks ago, and he did a his um he did a um, presentation on his, on his work in West Africa, and it's very interesting seeing the um the differences between the uh, the African slender snouted species and the um the dwarf crocodiles because there are very pronounced differences, and and I, I I didn't know enough about the species to really even notice that kind of stuff. I mean, they're very they're very, um, it seems very, very poorly studied species up until now. So it's just, you know, there's all this new information coming out, but, but obviously that's, yeah, it's going to make my, my goal a lot more difficult. And then there's some species that are just hard to photograph period, like the Tamistama, which is one of my favorite species, um, is very difficult to see in the wild because it's very cryptic. It's very aquatic. It doesn't come out to bass much. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's, that's one that I really want to get, but it's going to cost me a fortune to do it. And there's no guarantee I'm going to be able to find it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you're going to New Guinea soon, so you should probably be able to check off at least two more species, both the New Guinea species. Right, yeah, Hawaii and Nova Guinea. Yeah, I hope to, I hope to be able to check them both off, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? Um. I think that's, I think we about covered it in terms of um, crock bite and um, what I've been working on. Um, yeah, unless there's anything else you're, you're interested about. Uh, well, I don't know you too well, so I don't know what else to ask you about. Okay. Um, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, yeah, just uh, hoping to work in, uh, doing a lot of work in PNG, Papua New Guinea in the future, um, trying to do whole country-wide um, surveys, which is going to be very difficult, but... Um, I think we we get creative with it. We should be able to accomplish it. It's kind of be it's going to be similar to kind of what um, what um, Jan Vanderplug Plug and um, Matt Bryan did in uh, the Solomon Islands, uh, where they did kind of a countrywide human crocodile conflict survey. So um, yeah, we're going to try to do that and hit not everywhere, but we'll hit as many areas as we can where we think attacks are going to be highest. And um, I'm really curious to see if there have been any um, Hawaii or, or Nova Guinea attacks because they can both grow to over four meters. And um, it's very hard to know because saltwater crocodiles get in, get far inland there as well. So you can't really know unless you, unless you talk to locals, I suppose. And even then it's not entirely certain. So it'll be, it'll, it'll be a lot of interesting stuff that I think we'll find. Um, some of the villages I'll be visiting have um, been locations where they found some of the largest crocodiles in the world, like that Fly River crocodile at, I believe it was Oboe Village along the Fly River. I'll be visiting that village um, and they caught another large crocodile recently. I don't recall if it was measured or not. So um, it'll be very interesting. I think we'll, in addition to 
the official stuff for the conflict, you know, attack related stuff, I think we'll also find other things that will be interesting that I can possibly um, follow up on after the PhD or even talk to other people about potentially doing so. All right. Well, uh, where can people find you out online? Um, well, pretty soon this um, croc attack website will launch. I don't know what the address is going to be just yet. Um, and that and then people will be able to um, access the database that way. Um, it'll be a little different than the previous um, website. We're hoping to have more maps and stuff like that. And I'll have species profiles um, that go into, I'll have updated distribution maps um, because the most of the saltwater crocodile distribution maps are at least 150 years out of date. So um, I'm going to be, yeah, that's pretty bad. The saltwater crocodile is by far the worst defender when it comes to, to the maps being really bad. Um, and then, of course, the Nile crocodile maps need to be split between Sucus and Nilotikus. Um, but so I'm going to do a lot of updated distribution maps and then kind of a danger level post by the species. So people can kind of look at what, you know, what species are dangerous, what aren't, you know, what, you know, what not to do. Kind of the stuff that I talked about here. Um, and there will also be a um, an area where you can download papers that um, that have used the uh, the croc attack data, um, depending, of course, uh, depending on whether the publications will allow us to, to host those papers, but the ones that we can host, we'll put on there. And, um, and yeah, so right now I'm currently running um, the whole project. Um, and, and then I have input from, from uh, Simon Pooley, who is a um, crocodile specialist in England and, um, and a few other people. And um, I'm hoping to bring in a lot more regional experts to kind of, um, yeah, be able to just branch it out and make it a much larger, much larger thing. But um, and then um, I'm also going to be possibly doing some television in the future, but I don't know. That's still still up in the air. I'm sure television is can just it can go away at the last minute. So so we'll see what happens. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Okay. It's been my pleasure. All right. Thanks. Bye.